This is Under Pressure, a medical podcast. Join us with our host, Glenn Clark, as we dive deeper into various wound care, vascular and hyperbaric medicine treatments, and conditions. Each episode features a different medical professional, providing a multidisciplinary approach on ways to properly heal. Welcome to Under Pressure, a medical podcast. I'm Glenn Clark, and joining me on this episode is Dr. Narayan Kulkarni. Dr. Kulkarni is medical director of the Frederick Health Center for Wound Healing and Hyperbaric Medicine in Frederick, Maryland. He is ABMS board certified in hyperbaric medicine and family medicine, and ABWM board certified as a certified wound specialist. He also serves as an assistant clinical professor at WVSOM Medical School in Lewisburg, West Virginia. He's been in practice for over 20 years. Dr. Kalkarni, it's great to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Glenn. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I want to kind of surprise you with one. I want to know about you, Dr. Kalkarni. I want to know how we got on this path, why it was that wound care was the direction for you. Um. I have been in wound care for about 15 years now altogether. I started off in family medicine and uh, er, about five years in, I was asked by one of the uh, system administrators to see if I would be willing to help out at the wound care center. Didn't know much about it at the time, but I said, sure, why not? And I spent some time at the center and the more time I spent, the more I enjoyed it. And I realized that over you know, before I knew it, a, a year had gone by and, and the administrators asked me if I wanted to be medical director. So, wow. um, and, and, and I pretty much knew at the time that the decision was made for me that I was going to stay in it. So I furthered my education, got board certified in hyperbaric medicine and uh, through the AW, ABWM in, in wound healing as well. That's incredible. And here we are 15 years later, a decade and mm-hmm. a half later, and we're still Absolutely. at it. All right, so I want to ask you about a a term that I've heard um, as I've been doing this show. The term is chronic wound, right? Sure. What is a chronic wound patient? So a a chronic wound patient or a patient with a chronic wound is is a wound that typically hasn't healed in about 30 days or, or has demonstrated very, very slow healing. So the wound healing process is a fascinating process. It takes about um, it's made up into four phases, the hemostasis phase, inflammatory phase, the, the proliferation phase, and the maturation phase. And most of the time, um, the wound is stuck in the inflammatory phase. For healthy people that don't have a lot of medical conditions, that entire process from beginning to end can take a couple of days to a few weeks at the most, depending on the severity of the wound. These people, unfortunately, who have these issues, take a lot longer and they get stuck in this inflammatory phase, which prevents it from going into really the necessary proliferative phase, which is that construction phase. That's where a lot of the positive things are happening, where new blood vessels are are being developed and new filler tissue is being developed, which we correspond to healing. But when a wound gets stuck in that inflammatory phase, it doesn't heal. And it's usually because of some kind of barrier. Um, people who are of advanced age will typically have issues healing or they have circulation sure. issues, arterial issues, vein issues, lymphedema, uh, pre-existing infections or active infections, uh, pressure, uh, like what you would see with bed, uh, bed sores and what we call um, pressure injuries. Uh, inflammatory disease or blood clotting conditions, uh, systemic disease like diabetes, um, personal habits like excessive smoking, or some of the atypical stuff like malignancies, and even uh, even medications can alter wound healing. 
So uh, all of those are considered to be barriers and they all have to be investigated. And one of the big things that we're, prob- that we're going to be talking about today that I haven't mentioned yet, but it was really critical, is poor nutrition. All right. So we'll get back to that, doctor. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk about what, the, what are the impacts, chronic wounds? What are they on the patients themselves and on society as a whole? Absolutely. It's, it's a big, big deal. And unfortunately, it's, it's something that a lot of providers and even the public is really not too aware of. Um, it's pro- there's approximately 8 to 10 million people in the United States that have chronic wounds. And CMS, the uh, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, have estimated in recent figures that the cost of man- managing and treating these wounds um, is estimated to be between 30 and $100 billion oh, wow. annually. Um, so like the eight, and, and the costs continue to increase. We have a population that's aging. We have diabetes that's increasing in prevalence, uh, medical conditions like peripheral arterial disease, which is increasing in prevalence. Uh, the obesity epidemic continues to rise. Uh, and they, all of these together really make for tremendous uh, clinical and socio, uh, socioeconomic challenges for, for us as a society to, to, to handle this. So why is it that wound centers exist? And, and what exactly is done at a wound center? So decades ago, when wound centers didn't exist, uh, patients with these chronic wounds, remember patients have had chronic wounds for, for millennia. Sure. Um, what happens if, when they're not healed is they tend to deteriorate and that causes significant complications like hospitalizations uh, for severe infection like sepsis or even amputations. Um, and of course, that's a pretty uh, dramatic impact on the patient and a tremendous cost to society as well. At the time, before wound centers existed, they didn't have much of a choice. They didn't have a choice for providers, didn't have a choice for, for dressings or even advanced um, intervention. And the education for medical providers on wound healing, unfortunately, is pitifully minimal. Hmm. There was a, there was hmm. a study that was done to evaluate like what the education was for medical students. And they, they surveyed, surveyed 55 schools and found that only seven of them offered a wound healing elective. Um, most providers don't really learn about wound healing in medical school and, or in residency. I, I, I know I didn't. <laughs> I might have brushed upon it on a day in a dermatology residency, but you know, wow. uh, it, it's, it's, it's very fleeting. So as a result, because of these issues of high hospitalization and amputation rates um, the, the, and the cost of managing these, these types of wounds, there really was a, a need that was developed for having a multidisciplinary evidence-based medicine approach, focusing on concepts like limb salvage and minimizing complications with the treatments being managed, the wounds being assessed by individuals who are trained in wound care who are board certified in wound care and in wound healing. It's so important. Uh, it's so sure. important, no doubt. So, and at our center, what we do is, you know, we, when the patient comes in, we, we gather a focused history. We determine what the barriers are to the wound via getting a good history, getting a, doing a good physical and wound evaluation, doing testing, like evaluating for blood flow and infection and um, other issues which may slow down wound healing. And then you develop a treatment plan to address those barriers. You guide the patients through this treatment plan, teach them about um, you know, how to do their dressing changes, 
intermittently do wound debridements, um, apply compression garments, and if needed, also use advanced therapies like artificial skin products or even hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And it's typically a multidisciplinary approach. So we have hyperbaric specialists, infectious disease specialists, plastic surgeons, vascular surgeons, podiatrists, and the same patient may end up seeing every single one of these specialists mm. in order to get these in order to get this wound healed. Here's Dr. Narayan Kalkarni. He's with us here in Under Pressure. All right, Dr. Kalkarni, let's go back. Let's revisit what we're talking about with nutrition. All right. Mm -hmm. Why is the nutritional status of a patient commonly overlooked in a treatment plan? So one of the main barriers to healing um, and one of the most easily modifiable to all the barriers in, in wound healing is nutrition or malnutrition. Remember, wound healing is a complicated construction process. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at construction, right, what do you need? You need raw materials, right? So if there are no raw materials on board, the, the construction, it's like I always analogize it to my, you know, my, my patients when I'm teaching them. It's like, imagine you're building a building. If you, if you have your construction workers there, you need to make sure that they're well-fed, well-rested, and you have to have raw materials. And if you have neither, <laughs> then you're not going to get much construction. So this is why it's so important to have the right amounts of macronutrients and micronutrients focusing on carbohydrates, proteins, fats, fluids, um, and then micronutrients like uh, multivitamins, iron, uh, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's commonly overlooked because malnutrition, believe it or not, you know, these are busy wound care centers and the providers sure. are very busy. They're seeing 20 to 25 patients a day. The history can be very difficult to obtain. Many Patients kind of understate mm. how much they eat, mm -hmm. what they eat, you know, the quality of the food that they I, I want to make it very clear. I've never done that. Doc. Of course I've never, <laughs> I've never once lied to my doctor about what no. it is. And I've never, I, I, they've, ne they've never said to me, hey, do you, you have a drink? Uh, do you ever drink at all? I'm like, no, never, never done that. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm not talking about any of the patients that we treat, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but there are um, some you're saying. that There might sure, be there someone there can out be there. some. Yeah. It's been reported. Yeah, I've heard that. So they, they're not very truthful as far, or they just don't know. Remember, this is sure. a population. This, it's the elderly population. Some of them um, may have some cognitive difficulties and they may not remember issue. They may have the best memories. So they're not necessarily even aware of what they're eating and when they're eating. Um, one of the biggest uh, factors that you can evaluate to assess for a lack of wound healing due to malnutrition is loss of lean body mass. Okay. So when a patient comes in, unless they're coming in from a facility where we can track their weights, they, we don't know how much weight they've lost, mm. you know, mm. uh, and if it's a first visit, um, we're looking at loss of lean body mass over the last few months. So anything over 20% of lean body mass, that's when wound healing stops. 40% of loss of lean body mass is not really compatible with life. So that 20 to 40% range is critical. But when they come in, we don't know those numbers. So it's hard to tell if this patient has been losing weight or not, if they're not able to really communicate that. Um, there are no labs to check for it. When I first started training in wound care, my uh, attending or supervising physician said, you know, draw labs X, Y, and Z. Well, I've come to 
learn in the literature now that those labs are not really indicative of a patient's nutritional status. Okay. They are what they're called acute phase reactants, meaning that they can be altered in other medical conditions. So they can't, they're not indicative absolutely of whether a patient is malnourished or not. You can use it for trending, but you can't use it to say, okay, you know, you're malnourished because your labs say A, B, and C. You can't do that. Okay. Um, a physical exam is also difficult uh, because the, the signs can be subtle and they can be also corresponding to other medical conditions. And then the last thing that we can do is we can provide questionnaires to patients too. Now, we provide a questionnaire. There are several different types of questionnaires that are out there. Some are manufactured by some of the bigger food companies. Other questionnaires are manufactured by um, healthcare agencies, and you can give them to the patients and they ask the important questions. But again, those questionnaires are completely dependent upon the ability of the person to fill it out. So if you've got a person who's got limited Mm -hmm. cognition and they can't Mm -hmm. really understand, they can't read well, forget it. Uh, Many, when we, when we tried it with a more complicated form years ago, half the patients didn't understand the questions on the form. Okay. So, so when you have all of that, it's very difficult to, you know, and, and these patients are being seen very, you know, like, like I said, 20 to 25 patients a day. That's hard. So when you're looking at all of these other issues and trying to get a patient's, uh, patient's wound to heal, it, you can see how it can be overlooked. What can a clinician do at that point once there is that feeling of, like, we think there might be malnutrition involved here? Great question. So it, just like so many other things, you have to look at risk factors. Right. So what is a patient's what are the patient's risk factors? So as I've already mentioned, there are certain groups that tend to be at greater risk. The elderly mm-hmm. are at much greater risk. Uh, minority populations tend to be at greater risk. Lower socioeconomic groups also tend to be at the highest risk. One study showed that um, patients that have been admitted to either the hospital or that are actually at facilities, 60 to 80% of them are typically malnourished, either at admission or um, into the hospital or when you randomly um, assess them at a facility where they're living. So it's pretty dramatic. Um, We talked about weight loss, uh, trying to determine whether they've had any loss of lean body mass. If they've had a 20% loss, that's a concern. If if, when you're doing an exam, if you're looking for loss of subcutaneous fat or skin fragility, that's an issue. Uh, that's a risk. Uh, reduced grip strength, um, localized or generalized fluid accumulation, heavily draining wounds. Um, because when these w- wounds are draining a lot of fluid, they're le- losing lymph fluid, and lymph fluid is very protein rich. So that will increase your risk and put, put them at suspicion for malnutrition. Patients who are getting recurrent infections, or even if you do blood work, um, if you notice that the patient's got severe anemia or low albumin, um, that can also increase a patient's risk. Remember, the albumin, that was one of the tests. Mm-hmm. Free albumin is a very common test that was mm-hmm. drawn in the past to assess. But again, that can be positive for other conditions too. But that can, you can use that for trending to see if they're going to be getting better or not. So if you do suspect that a patient has uh, mal, uh, or they are malnourished, um, you can start thinking about a plan for them. Right, because they're coming in with a large. If they're coming with a wound that's that's slow to heal, you have to make sure that everything is on board for them to for them to heal. So, if possible, get the experts involved. 
like, for example, a dietitian. So if the patient's in the hospital, dietary services are there. If the patient is at a facility, dietary services are there. So you can consult them to do a full evaluation because obviously a dietitian has got much better training to assess a patient's nutritional status and recommend a, a proper diet for that patient to focus on wound healing. Um, what if they are no experts around? What if there are no dietitians around? Then I'd suggest that you basically just follow the guidelines that are there okay. on, on recommended intakes for macronutrients and micronutrients. Do- like, I, like I said, macronutrients being protein, carbohydrates, fats, um, and then fluids, and then uh, micronutrients like vitamin C, zinc, um, selenium, iron, and all of those other important nutrients. Is there anything else we need to know about those guidelines, doctor? Which, which guidelines? For the, for the macronutrients and the, the micronutrients? Um, I would say stick to like the America, the national pressure, um, ulcer advisory panel has recommended that for pressure ulcers, the recommended intake is about 35 to 40 calories per kilogram per day. Okay. And I think that's pretty reasonable for, for most people. Um, for additional guidelines that you should consider, your carb intake should be about 60% of what their total uh, allowances on a daily basis. Fat should be about 20% and protein should be about 20% with protein meaning um, in a, equivalent to like 1.2 grams per kilogram per day. Fluids, about four to six glasses of water a day. And, you know, like we talked about uh, micronutrients as well um, through uh, multivitamins and vitamin C and that sort of thing. And if, um, if possible, you can also consider supplements. Now, the caveat with all of that is obviously every patient is different. Some patients have kidney disease, some patients have malignancies, so okay. they may not really be appropriate for those guidelines. So bottom line is you got to check with your doctor and ask them what is appropriate. How much food should I be drinking or how much food should I be taking in? What should my total caloric count be? How much should my fluid count be? And so on and so forth. But there are general guidelines that are out there that you can follow. I just want to make sure I'm okay. I, I can still eat a bag's worth of, uh, of Old Bay goldfish every day. Right? <laughs> like I'm still going to be okay in that? One, one bag. Okay, one. All right. Thank God. Thank <laughs> a hey. small bag. <laughs> um, yeah, doctor, one thing we like to ask everybody uh, on this show, tell me something that you learned. Let me go back to medical school if I could. What's something uh-huh. that you learned then that you still carry with you to this day and in your practice and the way that you go about what it is that you do that you know you, you picked up from all the way back when you were in medical school? One of the m- things about patients that I really, 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 that really, really sunk in for me was the importance of ensuring that you empathize with them and that they are well-educated about their process. Patients who don't understand what's going on with them, the compliance and the adherence to your recommendations really is much lower than patients who truly understand what's going on with them. And, um, they, they feel like they have somebody in their corner rooting for them, and that also understands them as well. So if you mm. take time to understand your patients and listen to them and really address what their issues are, what their concerns are, but at the same time, you take that in and you validate their concerns, but you also turn it around and say, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but let's figure out what our goals are. And from our goals, we can basically work together to develop a plan that's that will work for you, but still we can both get to our goals together. Excellent. Dr. Kolkarni, this is incredibly informative. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. 
My pleasure. Thank you. I want to encourage everybody, if you want to learn more about what we've been speaking with with Dr. Cole Carney, you can visit mbswoundcare.com in order to get that information. He's Dr. Narayan Cole Carney. I'm Glenn Clark. This has been Under Pressure, a medical podcast. The information stated on the podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for professional medical advice. We strongly recommend consulting a medical professional or healthcare provider if you are seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.